This episode of Horsepower Heritage is sponsored by Model Citizen Diecast. No matter what's in your garage, you can fit all your automotive heroes on a shelf. And they've got you covered, whether it's 143rd scale, 118th scale, or even the ginormous 18th scale masterpieces from the Amalgam Collection. Go to ModelCitizenDieCast.com and get 10% off when you use the promo code HERITAGE at checkout. Limitations apply. From race cars to street cars and everything in between, it's Model Citizen Diecast. Because your inner child still wants to play with cars. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsepower Heritage. I'm Maurice Merrick. And greetings to all of you listening far and wide from New York to Amsterdam, from Lisbon to London, and everywhere in between. The music you're hearing is the Brazilian National Anthem, in honor of my guest today. Emerson Fittipaldi scarcely needs an introduction. Two-time Formula One world champion, two-time Indy 500 winner, and one of the most successful racing drivers of our time. So this is a very special episode for me, and here's the backstory. I'm coming to you from California's Monterey Peninsula and yet another incredible car week. And this year I was invited to one of the most prestigious events on the calendar, the Quail, a motorsports gathering, which is held at the Quail Lodge and Golf Club. The Quail is celebrating its 20th anniversary, and I was given the honor of hosting this year's Fireside Chat with the legendary Emerson Fittipaldi. Spending time with Emmo is something I'll never forget, and I want to thank everyone who made that possible. And thank you for listening to Horsepower Heritage. It really means a lot to me that you're out there enjoying the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button or the follow button, depending on which app you're using. And leave me five stars and a quick review because that really helps new listeners discover the show. All right, we're going to get right into it today. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Emerson Fittipaldi. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's an exciting moment. Now, I'm happy to announce that our featured fireside chat with none other than Emerson Fittipaldi is about to start. Today's fireside chat is a special one, of course, hosted by Maurice Merrick, the founder of the Horsepower Heritage Podcast, known for his deep dives into automotive history and the people behind the machines. And joining him on stage is none other than Formula One champion and two-time Indy 500 winner, Emerson Fittipaldi. So please welcome Maurice Merrick and Emerson Fittipaldi here on the main stage. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. You're in for a treat. Uh, I can't tell you what a thrill it is for me to be here on the stage with this man. Ladies and gentlemen, Emerson Fittipaldi. Thank you, thank you. So there's so much ground that we could cover, Emma, and we have so little time, unfortunately, but I'd like to start out by having you take us back to 1969. You were 22 years old. You'd been racing in your home country of Brazil with some success and you took yourself to England and the dream was to make it into Formula One. And inside of a year, both Colin Chapman and Frank Williams offered you 
seats, and you turned them down. Well, first, I want to say what a beautiful day to be in Quail, first time in Quail. Uh, it's amazing, you know. We just launched the Lotus Advisor of Fittipaldi. It's here in the lobby of the hotel. It's a beautiful car. And it uh, was my dream, you know, since I was five, six years old, to be a Formula One driver. And when I arrived in England, I had a, a Formula Ford be on the beginning. Uh, but I worked during the week as a mechanic. And the weekend, I could have a good engine and prepare the car for the race. And then I drove Lotus Formula 3. Uh, and same year, Frank Williams and Colin Chapman invited me to drive for 1970. And there was not enough experience. I told, uh, I say, Mr. Chapman, I'm not ready. And it was scary. I was going to say, okay, that's it. He said, okay, when you want to start? I say, British Grand Prix, 1970. I have a Formula 2 experience, and then I could go. And then uh, I, was, I joined Team Lotus, Colin Chapman, who was a genius. I was very lucky to, to join as not just Team Lotus, but uh, a mentor like Colin Chapman, who was a, a, one of the best ever f Formula One design in, in the history of Formula One. Yeah, it's remarkable. And, you know, second chances don't come around, but that was a... It, to me, it seems that that was an extremely mature decision on your part, and they, they let you have room to breathe. Well, was, I had six months of Formula 2, and then uh, in July, I, I, I had the first Grand Prix in Brands Hatch. With the last time, the Lotus 49 was a historical car, the Jim Clark raced Graham Hill, and then I, I drove, and the Lotus 72 that's here uh, was already existing, as gold lift team Lotus was a different color, but that's that's the the chassis number five. Tell us more about this car. It must have a flood of memories uh, coming back when you see it. Well, it was a very special car. This car was chassis number five, and Jochen um, Rind had a crash in Monza, and uh, we lost Jochen in Monza. He was number one driver, and then Colin Chapman say. We don't race in Canada, but we race in Watkins Glen, in, you know, in New York, the U.S. Grand Prix. And uh, that's the car I won, 1970, low to 72, chassis number five. I won the, the U.S. Grand Prix. It was my first Grand Prix win. And but it was only your fourth appearance in, in Formula One. It was my fourth Grand Prix, yes. Yeah. Fantastic. It was, was a blessing, and every day I thank God that uh, I always had God help me on my career. Thank you. Yes, let's hear it. Emo, let's talk a little bit more about Colin Chapman. He's such a dynamic figure. And of course, you can't talk about Colin Chapman without thinking of the great Jim Clark, who I know was a hero to you. Let's talk more about those two gentlemen. Well, you know, the history of Formula One when Colin Chapman uh, starting, uh, he was an aeronautic engineer, and then he was very advanced for that time. He was the first monocoque ever. The monocoque is like a fuselage of airplane that was Colin designed. He designed this car that well advanced inboard brakes, um, 
all the aerodynamic different side radiators, those first car side radiators, and uh, he always thinking ahead of everybody else. And by the way, Clive Chapman is here. You know, represent. I don't know if he's here, but Clive Chapman is with us here. Clive is here. Clive. Thank the you, Chapman Clive. family. You know, thanks for trusting and giving my support for my career. Colin believed. And when I went to Watkins Glen, it was only my fourth Grand Prix, I said, Colin, are you getting a number one driver for the team? He said, no, you are going to be number one driver, but we'll support you. And he knew I was young, and uh, he supported me. And this was just a month after the death of Jochen. Yeah, it was, at that time was horrible, because I had breakfast with Jochen in Monza. Um, we had breakfast together, and three, four hours later, he got killed. Uh, it was, unfortunately, it was a very tough time of Formula One. Uh, we normally were 21 drivers, and every year we'd lose three drivers. The odds was horrible. It was like 7-1 to one to survive one season. Talk about safety in F1 at the time. Well, Jack Stewart started uh, the GPDA, Grand Prix Driver Association, with Joe Bonnier in Switzerland. And they fight they, with the, the, the Grand Prix organizers, with FIA to improve the safety on the cars, to have a better uh, driver's equipment. Now it's so much safer. I mean, we watch Formula One now, some huge crashes, and the drivers come out perfect. And that's uh, you know, how much safety on racing cars improve. And all this safety on racing car goes to the street car, like the carbon fiber. So much safer, the cars in carbon fiber now. Yes, amazing. And so much credit goes to Jackie. Jack Stewart was always leading uh, all the drivers to improve the safety. And Joe Boni, a Swedish driver who got killed in Le Mans, was another uh, very famous Swedish driver that was working for safety. And then, you know, like Nicky Lauda's crash in Nürburgring, uh, that's we decided never go back to Nürburgring again. And another untimely death. And by the way, Jim Clark, you ask about Jim Clark. He was a fantastic driver. And he was... So close to Colin Chapman. And um, Colin never liked to talk about Jim Clark. Because when it happened, the tragedy of Jim Clark, he feel, Colin feels a lot. It was, uh, I think we had a fantastic relationship with Colin. And was one of my heroes. Yes, let's hear it. Okay. And just to punctuate the, the risks of the era. Another hero of yours, Bruce McLaren, met with an untimely end, and he'd been a hero to you, I know that. Um, th so when the opportunity came for you to go to McLaren, what a great bunch of talent they had. Teddy Mayer running the show at the helm, and, and many others. Talk about that. Talk about how, I, I know this was, uh, you felt immediately at home. Well, you know, McLaren was a, a small team, uh, they never won the world championship, and when when uh, Bruce uh, lost his life, Teddy Mayer, who was a lawyer from Pennsylvania, American lawyer, and head of the American type of organization, he was a very, very uh, motivated team. Most of the guys from New Zealand, 
very young people, very motivated. And then I, I was very happy to join McLaren. And it was uh, a great team to work together. You know the difference? Lotus calling this car was the best car I ever drove. All my cars I raced, the Lot 72 was quick, any different tracks, very consistent. On bump tracks, slow tracks, fast tracks. McLaren, we have to work, we have to change the, a lot of the car from Grand Prix to Grand Prix. Emo, I know you've said that you knew you had run a quick lap at Monza when you got out of the car and looked at the sidewalls and they were all scuffed white. In, in Monza? Yes. I, pardon me, Monaco. Monaco, yes. Yes. Monaco is, when you look now, the, the size of the Grand Prix cars, the Formula One cars, and so narrow, so short straights, um, about every second you change gear, the whole Grand Prix, because very short straight, you're changing gear all the time, is a physical demanding, very physical and mental demanding, because, the, you, I mean, exhausting to, to drive two hours in Monaco on the streets, and you look down the modern Grand Prix cars, how they fit, how they can do the hairpin. They are huge, they're nearly double size than the Lotus 72. And you went from strength to strength. World Championships in 72 for Lotus and 74 for McLaren. Uh, compare those two Formula One seasons if you could. Just broad strokes. Well, always when you win the World Championship, is a, I call it the perfect season. Because you have to have a good team behind, you have to have a reliable car. It has to be fast. You know, the team has to be motivated. And... Uh, it was very special. My first World Championship with Lotus was, uh, you know, when I won Monza, it was uh, so much joy to be able to win. And then with McLaren, we had to work more than with Lotus during the whole year, changing the car. We had a, a long wheelbase, mid-size wheelbase, short wheelbase for different tracks. The logistic of McLaren was very intensive compared to Lotus. But your teamwork with your collaboration with the team, communicating what the car was doing and fettling the car, that's so important and you really found a great uh, group of guys there to, to accomplish that Well, we always when you see when they start a Grand Prix you don't know how much work before the race by the team, you have to have you know, very capable mechanics, every capable chief engineer, uh, chief crew, everybody has to be top to be able when to start the Grand Prix to perform. And then, then is the driver who is there by yourself that has to deliver the result. But you, I always had a very good teams behind me. You know, Lotus was incredible with Colin. Colin was my mentor for four or five years. And then McLaren was great as well. Great teams. And you spent 10 years in Formula One, and at some of those years were as a partner with your brother Wilson on your own team. Let's talk about the challenges and risks of fielding your own team. Enormous. Well, we, we, we always, I, when I was 14, 15, I started building karts in Brazil, go-karts, Formula V, 
Then I did the Fittipaldi Porsche, who was the fastest car in Brazil, with Wilson, my brother. And then when I was in Formula One, we decided to make a first Brazilian Grand Prix team. And um, when you make a Formula One team, the difficult is to get the right person on the right position, because all the top guys. And the last year, I had Adrian Newitt, was his first job on the Formula One team. Adrian, who doesn't know, is designed the Red Bull, is winning everything, and McLaren, and, and Williams. He designed many world championship cars. I had Peter War as uh, team manager, uh, Harvey Passwait as the chief engineer, but I lost the sponsorship in Brazil, and then we have to quit. But the last year we had the best people, including my teammate was Keke Rosberg. And uh, when you don't have the sponsorship, Formula One is so expensive. At any area of Formula One, Every year is very expensive to the McLaren team, to Lotus, Ferrari. You know, it's difficult. And by the way, Colin Chapman was first ever team to have a major sponsor. That was Gold Lift Team Lotus. And he was the first one. It was another from Colin Chapman. And that makes me think of Graham Hill, of course. Talk about Graham. Graham was an incredible character. He was a fantastic driver. He won many times uh, Monaco. He was the record breaker until Ayrton Senna beat his record. And uh, he was, Graham was like a comedian. I mean, he was so much fun. He loves racing. And then his son, Demo Hill, won the, the World Championship as well. But he was a great guy uh, to work, to have a, on the, and he was another one that fight for safety. And Grand Hill and Betty Hill, she was a fantastic lady too. Getting back to your venture with your brother Wilson, you know, you can have the right people, you can have the know-how, but it's time and money that develops a car, right? Um, and the, the Brazilian press gave you kind of a hard time. Well, they, the, the, the press who are specialized in racing... They understand it was difficult to make a, a Grand Prix Formula One team. But the regular press, they want me to win my third championship on my first year with my own car. They had no idea how much effort that you need to develop a Formula One team. And they are very hard on us. But, Emo, I think you really put Brazil on the map, as it were, with motor racing. And so many greats after you following your footsteps. Uh, one, of course, being Ayrton Senna. And I, knew you, I know that you knew Ayrton as a boy. He, he was 14 when you met. And you were a mentor to him. Well, we, we, you know, we're like we had Nelson Piquet, of world course. champion. And then comes Ayrton, who was a, a fantastic talent. And I knew he, he was testing karting in Interlagos. And I was testing my own Formula One car. And he used to come, he was very shy. I said, Ayrton, come to inside the pit, come here with me. And then uh, it was, was history. And then I called um, Ralph Furman, who had the Van Diemen car. Ayrton was in my office in Brazil with his father. And I called England and I say, Ralph, I have a driver that can win the, the Formula Ford Bridge Championship. And he started laughing and I introduced Ayrton. And that's history. Yes, wonderful, wonderful. 
And we have to talk about IndyCar, Emmo, because a lot of Formula One drivers have trouble transitioning. And I think it would be fair to say that it wasn't the easiest transition for you. There were certain things that you had ingrained in you, muscle memory, that you do on a Formula One circuit that you can't do on a banked oval. Well, when, when I arrived in Indianapolis, I was well received by A.J. Foyt, Mario, who was a very good, Mario Andretti was a very good friend from Formula One. And um, my first question to AJ, I say, what should I do to drive on the oval and what should I not do it, not to do a mistake? And, and AJ was very good. He, he, he put him on the golf car in Indy and was Bobby answering. And uh, I'll answer testing. And he took to turn one turn two, turn three, turn four, and explaining everything. And, and one thing that was opposite to us, he said, Emerson, if you lose the back end of the car in Indianapolis, don't correct. Turn the steering wheel, then you can spin to the inside. You don't hit the, the outside wall. But, but my reflex, my coordination, unfortunately, I never could do that. Because I have to change my shape from my brain. They didn't have shape at the time. And I couldn't do it. But AJ was very good to me. And Mario, and, and then the answer family. You know, Bobby answer, I call Uncle Bobby. And uh, he was uh, all answer juniors. An American racing dynasty, the answers. 1996, Michigan Speedway. A tough moment. A moment of truth for you. Let's talk about it. Well, it was... Um, I was going to retire in Laguna. Saturday, I went to Roger Penske. I was going to turn 50 that year. I was 49. I said, Roger, uh, Laguna is going to be my last race. Uh, and then I retired. Roger said, I'm happy for you, Emerson, Emo. And then next day, the Michigan 500, I start fourth. And uh, I was the second Mercedes engine at that race. Greg Moore a very young talent from Canada. He starts third. And then uh, Alex Zanard and Jim Vasser had the Honda first and second. And then I said, when they start the race, I want to be behind the two Hondas to get the draft to save fuel because they're very fast, the Honda engine. At that time, faster than the Mercedes. And I start the race, turn one, I went outside of Greg and uh, Greg didn't have experience. And on my turbulence, he hit my, my rear wheel. I spun, I went backwards to the wall. And uh, the impact was 117 Gs. Incredible. And I was, I survived thanks to the rescue team there. They're very fast. They keep me alive. And uh, was the best victor of my life. Because after that, I accept Jesus as my savior. It, it speaks. was fantastic. It was a bless to me. Yes, let's hear it. Let's Thank hear you. it. Emerson, we're almost out of time, but you mentioned the answers. I said an American dynasty in racing, but the Fittipaldi dynasty is alive and well. Let's talk about your progeny and what's going on in racing with them today. Well, I'm very happy. I have two grandchildren. Uh, Pietro is the reserve driver for the Haas Formula One team. And Enzo uh, just won Spa in Formula 2, Enzo Fittipaldi. And I have here Emo, 
Junior, who is 16, is driving from La Three. Stand, Stand up, up, Emo. That's the youngest one. <laughs> and Emo Junior. I don't know what's in the water and in Brazil. He's, but he, the, he's American. He's born here. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. USA. USA. <laughs> Emo, thank you so much. It's been a real treat. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Emerson Fittipaldi. Thank you, Morris. Thank you. God bless. God bless. What a be- beautiful event. Thank you. That's all for this episode of Horsepower Heritage. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. Just go to horsepowerheritage.com, click on the contact button, and say, subscribe me to the newsletter. And that's all there is to it. And if you're enjoying the show, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash hpheritage, and you can contribute as little as $2. You can make it a one-time gift or a repeating gift, or you can pick a higher amount of your choice. Thanks to all of you who've donated to the show, and I will see you back here on Wednesday, September 6th, for a story about a dream garage property and the man who built it. So until then, I'm Maurice Merrick. Thanks for listening.